Hey guys, this is Robert Breedlove from the What Is Money Show. And as you've learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to facilitate financial security for all. They accomplish this by bringing a high level of professionalization and sophistication to the Bitcoin marketplace. As a true game changer in the industry, NIDIG is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. By using NIDIG, you will gain access to an end-to-end institutional-grade platform, providing Bitcoin OTC transactions, Bitcoin collateralized borrowing, secure custody, asset management, derivatives, financing, market research, and more. And all of these services meet the highest regulatory, governance, and audit standards. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and is leading the way for ongoing institutional adoption in this nascent asset class. So please be sure to check out Nidig as a single source for all your Bitcoin needs. Hey guys, welcome to the What Is Money show. Uh, sitting down today with Mr. Ben Askren. Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Robert. Uh, I'm just a recent big fan of you because I watched, like I said, your whole Sealer series in the last week or so. Uh, tremendous stuff. So I'm excited to talk today. Awesome, man. I'm really, really excited to hear that. Um, and we were just talking offline a little bit that this is uh, your first Bitcoin <laughs> bull market, huh? Well, I so I got in. My first buy was August of 2017. So we, we were definitely on the way up. Um, but I was I was saying I remember at that point in time when I very first bought uh, Coinbase had a limit of four thousand dollars per week per week mm. not per day per week and so I didn't get all my money in very fast it took me you know eventually I got upped a little bit but it, it took a while yeah. um, and so maybe it was I didn't have enough money in at the time but I don't remember so obviously if I got in it was end of August 2017 there was you know, three to four months of the bull market left. I don't remember a big dip in that in that end cycle there. And then obviously, you know, January, uh, the the bear market started. We started our downturn. So obviously, I lived through all of that. Yeah. Um, and listen, we've had a couple other dips uh, during this bull market, but man, <laughs> when those prices started dropping this morning, I'm like, ah, I didn't yeah. sell nothing, but I did. You know, I kind of. I kind of wanted to, but then I kind of wanted to buy some more. So I was, I had so many mixed emotions all at the same time. Yeah. Well, this is the, I think the fastest drawdown in a month since November, 2018. So it's no oh, joke. Wow. Um, yeah. Volatility's high. And really I would expect the, the first rule of Bitcoin is always expect the unexpected. Yeah. But that said, I would expect things to continuously get more volatile just as we print more money. I mean, things just make less and less sense and prices move a lot faster and a lot further. Um, so on that, and on that note, it's like your emotions really come into play on the downside and they come into play on the upside as well. But yeah. the downside is when things get choppy and scary. So that's why it highlights the importance of having a plan of just yeah. what, what you're doing with your positions, you know? Especially, um, and I'm, you've been doing this longer than I have, I think, especially now that I, so many people have gotten in because of me, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. now to yeah. this point, it's all been like, yes, you made us so much money. And then today, I think I had like four people call me and be like, when is this going to end? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. Hopefully yeah. soon. I always get the text from my friends saying, why is this happening? It's like the answer is always the same. It's like it's Bitcoin is effing volatile. So when it's yeah, down, that's why it's down. Um. But yeah, people are always trying to assign a narrative to it. I mean, I know Elon's tweeting and the, the contention the there. China I, thing. The China thing. These things all contribute, but in my view, you know, there's 40% corrections are normal in Bitcoin bull markets. So we're right yeah. there now. We're close to 40% down. Yeah. Um, well, that, that this morning, though, um, so obviously we, we had had dips yesterday, but then um all within like an hour I, I it went from like 40 to 30 and then back up to you know 38 39 all within like maybe maybe the two hour span but it was, it was very very quickly yeah 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 so oh it actually dropped to 30. it yeah i didn't even see, you didn't that. see wow. that no i missed that one that's what i'm saying it was so fast it happened like lightning it was so fast um yeah, so it, it didn't last very long. I almost bought more. I didn't pull the trigger, but actually, you know, I'm a proud husband because my wife actually bought some super low. <laughs> I don't even know how she knew how to open up an account, but she's like, she hears me talk about it all the time, and she kind of, eh, whatever. And she, for some reason, she she looked at it this morning, it was low, and she said, I guess if there's ever a time to buy, it's now. And uh, she went and bought some Bitcoin. Now, that is a great wife you got there, <laughs> buying Bitcoin for you on the dip. Wow. Yeah, for real, right? Well, I think if we just get a message out to the world, first of all, leverage trading is fucking disastrous yeah. for this very reason, because the volatility is unpredictably super high and crazy. Um, and if you if you leverage your position, you just become fragile over time, which is not a good strategy in Bitcoin. And yeah, I, think- I, don't, I don't know how people do. I don't know how people leverage. I mean, I feel like I am a person of very low anxiety. I like risk taking. I have high risk behaviors. I have my whole life. And Bitcoin in itself is kind of high risk volatile. You got to be able to deal with it. Then you leverage up. Like, I feel like you got to be on drugs to want to do that. It's crazy. Yeah, you got to be very careful. Um, And Sailor actually went into that in the Sailor series. There's there's smart leverage and not smart leverage. But if you're leveraging right on top of your Bitcoin, especially to high degrees, that tends to be yeah. pretty dangerous. Um, yeah, seriously. And then the other piece I think is just, honestly, when the, it's like Buffett said, be greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy. It's times like this in Bitcoin markets it, where it doesn't feel good buying. Maybe it feels scary to buy, but those tend to be yeah. the best times to buy, actually. Absolutely. So, yeah. well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, we agreed to talk about this very interesting book by author Robert Greene titled The 48 Laws of Power. Um, when have you, when did you read that book? Uh, it's been a couple of months. You know what? I'm, I'm actually really annoyed because I started reading his book, Mastery, uh, yeah. which I also really enjoyed. And then, you know what? I, I can't find it. And so these things happen to me usually. I have, my life's crazy. You know, and then obviously after a couple of weeks, I'll use like, oh, there it is. So now it's been like three weeks probably. So I probably got to buy a new copy because I probably lost it for good somewhere. But that was really good also. And with the 40 Laws of Power, 
I don't recall who suggested it to me now, but I thought it was an outstanding book. I really liked it. And it was funny because it's one of those that I don't feel like a lot of people talk about. You know, there's those books like Anti-Fragile, which was it's great, right? Yeah. Um, or The Tipping Point where, you know, everyone kind of talks about them, everyone references them. And I don't really feel like that's the case with 48 Laws of Power, but I do think there's a lot of really good things in there. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've read it, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, five, seven years ago. And um, it's it touches on the very taboo subject, which is power. Like a lot of people yes. we don't talk about power. The power, power dynamics are constantly at play in life. Yes. But um, the author does a great job kind of combing through history and, and discussing them from a lot of different angles and a lot of different domains. Yeah. Um, maybe just for my audience. So this show is it's called the what is money show. And I do that because I think it's the rabbit that gets people down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. So this topic is a little tangential, but clearly money is power. Power is money. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's all related in a way. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of your background and, and mindset as it relates uh, to the context of today's discussion. Like what, what got you interested in the book? And then what do you think? What, um, what was relevant to you for reading the book in terms yeah. of like how you came up and your career and such? Yeah. So uh, I have a bookshelf over there. So I'm, I'm an avid reader. I read 30 books last year. Probably nice. I wasn't going to get that many, but Hey, Corona happened. So I got a few, you know, a handful of extra in. Yeah. Um, so I, I was an avid reader my whole life. I wrestled, I won NCAA titles. After I did that, I went to the Olympics. Um, after that, I decided to be a professional fighter um, I did that for, I didn't think it would last so long, but I did it for almost a decade. I won world titles in two different organizations, uh, Bellator won championship, which are the number uh, two and three organizations. Um, after I retired the first time, um, I ended up being traded to the UFC, the first and only, uh, still trade in mixed martial arts. And it was, it was interesting because I was kind of, I don't want to say kept out of the UFC, but contract negotiations. And Dana White not really wanted me to be there. It kept me from being there the first time I kind of took out with Bellator in 2013. Um, so I gave it a shot. Uh, I fought three times in 2019 in the UFC, went one and two. Uh, and then I needed to get my hip resurfaced. So I did that um, in 2020. It was, it's tremendous. I mean, it's, it's so good. I'm so glad I get it done. I should have done it earlier. Um, and then all the while, my brother and I started Ask Wrestling Academy in 2011. We now have five locations. So I love coaching wrestling. And that's kind of that that's kind of the passion of my life. I also podcast. So I I have the Funky Crypto podcast. I have uh, Funky uh, FRB, which is a MMA podcast. And then I also do uh, three podcasts a week. Well, a podcast three times a week for Full Wrestling Radio Live, um, which is the number one show in wrestling. So I'm a busy guy. Super cool. Wow. The hip, the hip surgery, is that where they, they shave down the ball and socket and put it back? One. Yeah, my sister had yes. that too. It's great, dude. It's so, so, so awesome. Um, wait, so I feel like now, actually, I feel like I didn't answer your question. So to answer your question, why I thought it was relevant, it's, it's um, yeah, it is taboo. And no one likes to talk about power, but to not acknowledge that, that, that man, that's the essence of what moves things so yeah. many times. It is, is like, what leverage do we have? Or what can what can they gain out of this or what can i gain out of this or what why are these parts moving in a certain direction um and that's you know that's all organizations i've ever been involved in whether it's my wrestling academies 
And then, for, you know, in there we're dealing with, well, the Wisconsin Wrestling Federation, what do they want to happen? USA Wrestling, what do they want to happen? Well, yeah. Flow Wrestling, what do they want to happen? Whether right. it's MMA, right? I told you, um, I mean, I was in, in 2013 when I finished my contract with Bellator, I was 12 and 0. I had held the belt for three plus years. I was the number five ranked fighter in the world. Um, and Dana White made the decision, which I, you know, I still haven't said, I should sit down and have that conversation someday to not sign me at that point in time when it seemed like an obvious sign to the UFC. And I had already burned my bridges with Bellator and said, I, I said, I'm out of here. I, you know, like I made good money. I'm a champion. The only thing I want to do now is prove I'm number one in the world. And I didn't get the opportunity to do that at the time. And so, you know, it's like, it, power moves everything and yeah. it to, to not acknowledge it is, is foolish. And, you know, so as I'm reading through the book, it's like, Oh, and you, it makes you think of different scenarios you've been in your life. And obviously um, I can especially think like in college uh, being, being on the wrong side of some of them, like doing stupid shit because you're a kid and you're like, well, this is the way it should be. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of people, never recognize the power dynamics and they always just think well this is what should happen without ever realizing right. well that's that's not going to happen because those people don't have the power or if that happens then that hurts that person and that person doesn't want it to happen you know th those type of things yeah yeah no it's great points um i think maybe we could try to like define power a little bit as in context of um uh, i guess this book and and the world more generally so Couple of definitions for me come to mind is we've got one, the traditionally accepted definition in terms of in like the sphere of human affairs, we would say is kind of like your position in a hierarchy or the leverage you have over another group of people. And this could be yeah, economic, this could be physical force, this could be uh, I guess intellectual force, maybe in yeah, a way. Absolutely. Um, and then there's the the other definition, which I think is closely connected, is the actual physics definition of power, which is the capacity for work over time. Mm -hmm. And work is force over distance. So it's like force over distance over time. And this is uh, what's so, you know, the another thing I got from the conversation with Sailor is that the purpose of life is to channel energy across space and time, essentially. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying here is that rooting this definition of power in physics are sort of one in the same the more force yeah. you can channel across time that's the same thing as you holding sway in a hierarchy because now you can just project words that other people will follow right so you're projecting yep. you're giving yep. less effort but creating greater results so um i think that was just a, a good lens to maybe get started with it yeah. and then and then the first i think i think the first time i really made recognition of it because <clears> i said you know, I think I grew up like a normal kid and, um, you know, my parents didn't talk about this type of thing. I kind of came from a blue collar family and, and I, I did something. I don't even remember what, I don't remember what, what was going on. The actions were, but, um, we had this sports psychologist who, who worked with our college team. And, and you know, I said, why well, I, I, mean, I don't know why that happened. She said, well, th think about the social capital of the situation. And mm. she's like, well, Ben, you have so much capital. You're, you're good to people. People like you. They follow you. They trust you. And so, yeah, you know, when, when you do this versus when someone else does this, it's, it's going to make a significant difference. And that was like, I never really thought about it in those terms prior to that. Um, but when, when she said it, it was like, oh, duh, you're, you're, you're right. I, did, right. I didn't make recognition of that, but you're 100% you're right. 
And so that was, I think that was kind of my first, I don't want to say clue into it, but that was when I started really paying attention to that type of thing. That's an interesting term she used too, social capital, right? Where it's like, yeah. again, back to the mm-hmm. economic properties of your reputation even. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it really is, it's a primal force. Like we're talking about humans here, but it exists. You could look at chimpanzees, right? They organize themselves yeah. into a hierarchy yeah. as well. And it's not the most tyrannical chimpanzee that holds a position of power typically because like a couple of his competitors will just tear him apart. It's usually the chimpanzee that curries favor with others. You know, he takes care of the kids and the women. So there's this, there's, it's not just hard and forceful. There's a a very, especially in civilized human domains, there's a very soft and um, subtle side. Well, so, and then a kind of counterpoint to that though is, uh, and this is why the 48 laws of power is, is important is it's, it's essentially saying is, is every situation is not the same. And mm-hmm. if you come to the fight with the same tool every single time, that ain't enough. Right. And you're going to need different tools sometimes. And that relates to wrestling a lot to me because it's like, we can't do the same move because if your opponent has a different action, then you, you need to switch your tactics. Right. And so, you know, in, in the course of power, it's like um, you said humans. Yeah, obviously, if one person is tyrannical, they people are going to learn to hate them very, very quickly. Um, but I think if you look throughout history, the most successful leaders they don't use power often, but then generally they do use power sometimes. And when they mm-hmm. do, it's swift, it's forceful, and people like that. People, people can say whatever the hell they want. People feel comfortable with the strong leader. Mm-hmm. They do, and right. so like, but they don't want that strong leader to shove it down their face. <laughs> 24 right, seven, right, right, right. but they, they want to know that, Hey, if, if someone comes to mess with my leader, that, that dude's got it. And he's going to yeah. come back at him. Yeah, no, that's a fucking great point. And again, it's so it's primal, right? It's not something you can yes. think away or think your way through, even to reflect on it and understand it. It, it doesn't remove us from its dynamics, right? We're still yes. subject to power dynamics. Yes, and I like 100%. how you said that actually get, so he lays out 48 laws in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one in the book, which I think you just were speaking to is this assume formlessness. Yeah. And what the way he describes it, I said, the best way to protect yourself is to be fluid and formless as water, never bet on stability or lasting order. Everything changes. And then there's a quote in there in regards to martial arts specifically. Uh, I didn't get who said the quote it said in martial arts, it is important that strategy be unfathomable that form be concealed and that movement be unexpected so that preparedness against them is impossible. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I mean, that's great. I was actually, so some of my college guys, kids that, so I coach obviously, you know, five to 18 year olds, but some of my college guys are home for the summer. And, you know, we, we were just talking about that yesterday is it's like, if the other, if your opponent knows exactly what's coming every single time, it's really easy to predict. Like mm-hmm. if I know A, B, the A, B, then B, then C, then it's simple. I can do that every single time. I know right. what to expect. And now, you, you know, you can't come at them with, at least in wrestling, you don't have a hundred choices, but you might have four, right? Yeah. So yeah. Don't, don't do number one every single time because they're going to be predictable. You know, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, and you have to keep your, opponent off balance and um yeah i mean so i, I think this law this law is everything though and it, it's 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 probably like i said i think what most people struggle with um and, and because it is it is a little bit taboo it's it's 
and you need to make recognition of this is that there is uh you know a moral right or wrong most people have a moral compass in america yeah. is based on judeo-christian values and there's a right and wrong but if you don't acknowledge how power affects right and wrong and you just say but this is right but this is this is the way i want it to happen right um i mean like i was in a business negotiation last week with and you know someone i was negotiating they, they were on my side and they were saying but but this isn't right it's like yeah but yeah but we don't have any leverage we got nothing to make them sway their opinion we have we have nothing here if we had leverage then we could push back and we could say this isn't right yeah. and here's why we don't want it but we don't have that so right now we have to say well okay we accept this and then obviously now we go back to the tyrannical thing maybe in a later part of the negotiation or further on when we do business with that other counterparty we you know we don't forget this and maybe if, if the if the leverages have changed and we have the high ground yeah. michael saylor talked about the high ground a lot yeah. a lot yeah, a lot. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so maybe we have the high ground we, we don't necessarily we don't forget that this is what happened yeah right and and we we use that high ground to our advantage but right now we don't and so we just have to accept this and it's not worth fighting no that's a great point too i think there's a law somewhere in there where he said um accept short-term defeats with the longer-term mm, yes. victory in mind so that sounds like a strategy you're employing there and there's <clears throat> what's that old saying that all is fair in love and war because mm -hmm. i i had a i'm a i guess i would say a disciple somewhat of jordan peterson i follow his work really closely yep. and he's all about you know clean your room tell the truth all of that so i have a bit of a hard time reconciling <laughs> this book with the teachings of jordan peterson because this book is a lot of it's about contention combat deception <clears throat> but i guess in those situations where you're facing an adversary or facing someone you know i guess and there's a there's a big parallel here between kind of like dating or, or um seduction and combat mm -hmm where everything is anything goes kind of yeah um and that points to this there's also that relationship which is really strange to talk about but this relationship between power and sex too between people it's like yeah you know it's not i guess the traditional power dynamic would be kind of the masculine dominating the feminine energy but it also there's a yin and yang to it absolutely and um it's just something so deeply biological to who we are but it seems like only those situations, I guess, war and I don't know if you say love or dating, but that's where deception is sort of like warranted at times. Well, isn't business also, I would say, I would say yeah. business as well. And uh, kind of war. You know, again, if I guess it is kind of combative in yeah. a certain sense, right? Yeah. And if you're too deceptive over too long of a period of time, people will figure it out and it, it, it will come back to you, obviously. Right. Um, well, so, and so when you you, know, you say like the Jordan Pearson, the, the moral right or the Judeo-Christian values, and that's where, you know, like I said, a lot of people get stuck on is, um, but then what we have to realize in humans, and, and so I think, um, so, okay, so I, I'm not a Christian, I just, I don't participate in religion, in all fairness, I go every week with my wife, because I, I think it's a good place to go. Because um, she but, buys Bitcoin on the dip. <laughs> she buys Bitcoin, <laughs> there we go, perfect. Uh, but I think it's also, and I think, Christianity recognizes is like human beings are inherently flawed and there's all these things about us that are not logical. And so if everyone, if everyone were perfectly logical and everyone were perfectly disciplined, then I think it would be much easier to apply, uh, you know, a moral compass to war or business decisions mm -hmm. or love. Um, 
But when we realize, you know, like jealousy, right? Jealousy or envy, like these Mm -hmm. human emotions, which are really negative, right? Because if you find yourself being jealous or being envious frequently, that's a really negative human emotion that you don't want to spend time experiencing, but to not acknowledge that people don't feel that. And then that those feelings are going to, right, are going to lead people to have certain actions. Like it's kind of foolish. So people are inherently flawed. Christianity says that. And so while, while we might want to go with what is moral and what is right all the time, um, we have to acknowledge humans are flawed and they're not going to make the logical decision all the time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. What do you think the relationship between envy, jealousy, and power is? I guess we could, we could maybe expand the scope on well, this that. Is like, this is like, I mean, this would go great with num- number one that you highlighted. Um, in your outline and it's where the book starts. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to tell the stories because people would probably be able to figure out who it is to very, mm. too easily. Never outshine your master. This is, mm. it, it's a, it's a fatal flaw. It's, you know, and again, like you could be as right as you want. You could be a hundred percent. You could be a hundred percent in the right, but if they're the master and you're not, you're gone. And I, mm. like I said, I, I learned that the hard way earlier in my life. Um, and I, I feel like I was hundred percent justified in all of my action. I think I was on the moral, right. Can't outshine the master and, and you need yeah. to realize that. And I, you know, and after that point in time, when that happened in my life, I, I made recognition of that. And so now if I do have to put myself in a position where there is a master, I, I acknowledge that, but most of the time I just try to put myself in a position where, um, you know, I, I am kind of my own business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't really have to answer to anyone. Um, and so I try to put myself in those type of situations because, man, it, it, you know, and emotionally, I know I shouldn't outshine the master, but when it's like, hey, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's like, oh, wait, but I, I can't do that because then I would outshine the master. You right. know, that, that's such a hard thing to yeah. want to do. So yeah, I try to put myself, I don't, I, I try not to put myself in that position ever anymore. Yeah, I, man, I hear you. Um, I consider myself borderline unemployable because I just, <laughs> you know, hey, at least you're honest with yourself. Yeah. I just, yeah. Like I'm very fiercely independent as it seems you are as well. And, yes. and, uh, the author makes a great point in the book he said, you can inadvertently outshine the master just yeah. by being yourself, just doing what you do. So it's such an art to try and, because you also have to be competent clearly in any project yeah. you're engaging in. But then you have to curb that or monitor that competence, perhaps, I guess, and how it's being displayed relevant to your master's ego. So another thing I learned, I came up in kind of corporate America a little bit. And the one thing I learned is it's always your job to make your boss look good. Like no matter what Mm -hmm. hierarchy you're in, Mm -hmm. that should be your number one focus is you need to make, you're supposed to make the boss look good was rule number one. And then eliminate confusion was rule number two. So you're trying to Mm -hmm. just um, make things more clear, I guess. And, um, yeah, the, the one example, uh, the author gave in the book was about Galileo where he, he made this discovery of Jupiter for the Medicis. And then instead of like taking credit for the discovery, he commissioned this emblem to be made, um, uh, acknowledging Cosimo, who was, I guess the, the ruler of the times, and 
as a, as a emblem of him and the stars and the discovery of Jupiter. So putting him in this perceived position of power and then Cosimo in turn made Galileo his court philosopher and mathematician with a full salary. So had Galileo trying to try to take credit for that, it probably would have not worked in his long-term interest. Um, hmm. So it's interesting how that, that plays out. Let me close these windows real quick. Was that a chicken? Did I hear a chicken? Yeah, there's roosters. I'm in Kauai. There's roosters <laughs> everywhere. You're in Kauai? Kauai? Yeah, Kauai, Hawaii. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I have some chickens. They don't, we had these really loud ones last year. We had um, guinea hens because they were supposed to eat more ticks, and my wife wanted to get them. And then, uh, dude, they were too annoying. We had, we had to off them because, oh, uh, so yeah. I bet they were delicious. They were so though, bad. Right? <laughs> uh you know what the person that shot him was supposed to sh share them with us when he cooked them and he did not share them with us didn't do that that's funny no he ate them himself where are you based uh, i'm in wisconsin oh right nice Milwaukee. very cool mm -hmm. um yeah so can never outshine the master that's uh it's an important one it's, it's a, a tricky I, rule. I, I learned it the hard way for for sure um so it's like you have to um you have to do your part and then when you know when you have the ability to, to become the master become the master right and then if, if you are and i think it's important like you said to know, to know yourself like I, I would have so i don't want to say i'm unemployable but i i would have a very hard time if i was under a structure where i had to really be subservient to a boss and luckily i'm not and i don't have to be yeah. um and so it's important to know that know that about yourself but you know a lot of people really struggle with that because they don't they don't realize that and that, that was myself i feel i failed with that and then and it cost me i think this is it's one of the hardest things in the world to see ourselves right through the eyes of others mm -hmm. um because we all uh, clearly we're all just sort of looking out from behind our own eyes and we think of ourselves in a certain way we have a certain self-image but quite often that's divorced from how others see us um jordan peterson makes his point that we we outsource our sanity to others so it's like you need mm. trusted people around you that love you and care for you and can call you out frankly when you're stepping out of line um and that's just i don't know that's a hard one lesson of maturity do you have to you have to go through these painful experiences of whatever outshining the master or making these other mistakes um i think to learn and and, and, and then also make make a recognition of what happened like i i realized what happened there and yeah you know and then i, I don't want to say i righted it but i i i don't put myself in that situation um or minimally as as little as possible um and so you know i think that that makes i i know you don't have a little um we don't have an outline on this one, but uh, I, you know, I like this one. I like this one as a follow-up to that one. And it's like, never put too much, too much trust in friends and, and learn how to use your enemies. Mm -hmm. And we go back to human nature. Um, we would love it if our friends were flawless and our enemies were totally hateable, but we're human and that's just not the case. Our friends have flaws and, and sometimes it, it could come at our expense um mm. and i know a lot of people become heartbroken the first time that happens but again if we make recognition of it it's, it's better and then just because people are enemies and this is something i i, I do that i don't want to say i do this a lot but it's like just because i don't like you or because you've done something to me in the past doesn't mean i can't forgive and doesn't mean if we have a common shared goal that we can't work together 
Mm-hmm. And if we do have a common shared goal, we might as well just work together, even if we don't totally see eye to eye or we don't like each other. Um, and that's another one where like really early in my life, I don't think I ever would have done it. And now right. it's like, I would think I'm an idiot if I don't do it. Yeah. What's that, that quote? Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think it's a great point too, that we're not, that these aren't static roles. It's not like you just have friends and enemies. I mean, there's mm-hmm. the roles and concepts again is constantly shifting. So you have to be adaptive to circumstances. Yeah. Um, that one's tricky, man. That one, because like, hmm. especially with your, your, I mean, I, I think a lot of people can have their, their people they consider family, almost their friends. They've yeah. been their friends for so long. They're basically family. And uh, when trust like that is broken, you know, that's some of the hardest stuff you can go through. I think as a human being, the feeling of whether it's betrayal, betrayal or just a falling out, you know, um, I think can be one of the most painful experiences a human can go through. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, my wife says I I'm borderline autistic because that's probably why I have an easier time separate, separating my emotions from some of these things, but you know, it's, it's, again, you go back to, Humans are flawed. And I don't think there's any freaking person on planet earth that doesn't get through high school without their friends screwing them over in some way, whether it's like, right. They dated right. my girlfriend right. or, you know, on a team, Hey, they told, they told an opponent a secret about me because they want me to lose or, you yeah. know, I mean, come on, who, who got all the way through high school without something like that happening, happening to yeah. them. So, yeah. you know, realizing that all, all humans are flawed and, and your, your friends are humans. So, um, you know, and then obviously now, some now right, I'm 36. So some of my friends I've had for damn near 20 years and some of them have never done those things. So I, you know, I put a high amount of faith in those people. And yeah, if those people who've been trustworthy for 20 plus years were to let me down, that yeah, that, that would be pretty hard. And I think it would be a tough circumstance to accept, but when those, you know, your friends that, you know, you've had for a year, two years, whatever, you know, kind of lo- loosely associated when they do it, I, I mean, it, it happens to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point that high school, you could kind of consider as a microcosm for adult life, really. All yeah. the things, the popularity contests, the, the power dynamics in high school, they, they, <laughs> they exist throughout all of life, just at a, a kind of on a different level of playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, super cool. So another one, that I expect- Robert, how old are you? I don't know. I could guess like as young as 25, but as old as 40. Maybe you keep really good at yourself. And really good I'm 35. Shape. So I'm right, right there with you. Yeah. Same. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll be 36 in January. So nice. Yeah. Um, I used to box by the way, but oh, really? UFC, you guys, I lived in Vegas for five years. I actually sat ringside okay. for a fight once with, with Dana White. I've won this um, raffle. love love ufc man it's so so strategic so much strategy which did you you grew up in vegas too no i grew up in tennessee oh tennessee got it yeah yeah i mean so ufc i mean boxing is uh well obviously i'm not very good at it for one but for number (laughs) two uh it's very simplistic and is there's not a lot of things you can do and then you know ufc mixed martial arts would be the ultimate expression of human combat because yeah. uh, not that there's no rules, but there's 
not there's not a lot of rules like it's really really minimal yeah and so essentially what you find out and this was the the premise of the ufc when it began in, in 1993 was which fighting form is the most effective you know yeah. we all at that point at that point we didn't know we all talked about it we all said well this would beat that taekwondo is better yes. wrestling's better jujitsu you know no one really knew jujitsu at the time jujitsu is the better. oh no a boxer would kill that guy yeah. but it's like okay well let's put us all in a cage where there's almost no rules very very minimal and let's see what happens yeah and you know now we're we're almost we're getting close to 30 years later and we have a really damn good of idea of how human hand-to-hand -hand combat with very little rules works and what is the most effective what is the bad and you know and the, the answer probably should have been as anyone expected is that you're going to need to know a little bit of everything yeah. right and then be a master at a few things to be the yeah. best you can't just be a master at one thing because if you're a master at one thing and you don't know the other things you're going to get exposed very very quickly so you know the, the the best fighters in my estimation have a really solid understanding of everything and then they have a mastery of one or two i mean some people like say henry cejudo you would say had a high level of mastery at multiple things mm -hmm. yeah i remember as a kid some of my fondest memories are watching ufc when it first started and it used to be they had fighting style listed under each fighter you know yes uh -huh. and then eventually it was taekwondo versus jujitsu or what and now it's just all blended into mma yes. um because you can't you can't be good and only be one thing it's impossible anymore yeah absolutely and it's so cool like what a cool sport again very primal getting us back to our roots i think that was the first olympic sport wasn't it just uh yeah pancreation I, I don't know the exact rules but it was pancreation was uh very very similar to mixed martial arts i think it was pancreation wrestling actually and then some form of track and field in the first olympics yeah so freaking cool mm -hmm. so uh another one of these rules we opened up a little bit was to win through your actions never through argument as the author says demonstrate do not explicate and I think it makes a great point that we all, again, it's hard to see yourself. We always think we're reasonable and right. Yeah. Like if we're arguing, it's like we're arguing from a position of what we believe to be right always. Um, but it's so because the other person thinks the same thing about themselves, it's like you're often talking past each other. And probably many of us have been in a, you know, arguments with our significant other or whatever. And you get into these situations where it's like, you said this, you said that, and you're just completely talking past one another and it goes nowhere. So author talks about this, the importance of taking action versus arguing. Yes, absolutely. So I, you know, a great uh, example of this for me in my life would be, you know, we, my brother and I have the five wrestling academies. Um, we started with one here and then he, he expanded number two. And, you know, I, th I think one of the most effective things that we've done because we me and him could argue he, he won't shut the hell up um <laughs> is sometimes we get arguments like okay we'll just do it let's do it and we'll see how it turns out mm -hmm. and then you know or you know he might say it to me we'll just do it see how it turns out and then you know he he went and does something like where there's a different schedule or a different set of techniques or they go to a specific tournament oh hey that turned out really good okay mm -hmm. cool i'll do that too you know and so like for, for i'll just give you for example, right now in my academy we have a, our five through nine year olds we call those ninjas in training it's like you know we don't take them too serious just play around a little bit 
but it's like I, I you know, I said, hey man, I'm I'm getting a lot of these kids. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna I really want to split them up. And he said, yeah, sure, just try it. So it's like we split and do eight, nine year olds, six, seven year olds, and five five year olds by themselves because the five year olds they're they're wild. You can't, <laughs> they, they will distract anybody. Um, and like it's going really, really well. And so it's like, okay, now we've tested this out. We've tried this. We understand how it works now. And it's probably something that we'll then implement through the other academies. And, you know, we've done the th- thing with our same thing with our managers now that are running the other academies. It's like, if you really feel strongly about something, give it a shot and yeah. let us know how it works. If it sucks, well, then it just sucked at one academy. <laughs> you right. know, and we were right. like, well, that didn't, that didn't work. Maybe we won't do that again. If it's great. Now we can take that thing that's great at one academy and we can Im- implement it into the other ones. And so again, you know, on some of these things, like, and you know, I, I don't know how it started with Max and I, I don't remember the first time we did this, but you know, it was like, we could have argued till we were both blue in the face and frustrated and hated each other. But instead mm-hmm. it was like, well, okay, g- give it a shot, see how it goes. And, and now we kind of use that same philosophy on uh, a lot of things we do. That's so cool. It's like, that's what capitalism is all about. You know, it's like, just run yeah. the experiment and see what works. But the world's today is so locked in politics, right? Where instead we're just arguing about things endlessly in, in DC yeah, or, or whatever political domain. And that's what I think, you know, I love about the digital age and, you know, what Bitcoin is enabling in the world. It's like people can now just go run the damn experiment. They don't need, like yeah. to set up a business. I don't, you don't, need to jump through all these hoops and regulations and get approval and argue with a bunch of people to go and do a thing. You just set up the website and, you know, collect the money and run the experiment. So, yep. Um, I, I will tell you one of the most, I, I, I hope, I hope it was you and Michael Saylor. I think it was cause that was all I listened to last week. <laughs> one of the most insightful things that uh, I don't even recall if it was you or him that said it, but you guys said something like, well, communist uh, communism, you know, one of the reasons it didn't work was, it's uh, from the at the top and essentially in a free market, you're having, you know, all of these thousands of people running experiments and then wherever who's ever having the most success or whatever market is hot, a lot of economic activity will go that direction. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there'll mm-hmm. be all this economic input over there and then something will get figured out and it'll expand. Whereas in a communist system. You know, it's essentially coming from one place and mm-hmm. there's no way that central point knows as much as all the different nodes within the network. Exactly. And I, you know, I had never really thought about it in those exact terms. I mean, I mean, obviously I know it doesn't work, but I thought that was a really brilliant way to put it. I don't remember if it was you or him. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I don't know who said it either, but the is decentralized computing versus centralized computing, right? It's one, one group or one guy that thinks he's got it all figured out versus people not arguing, just experimenting to see what actually works. Kind of like you and your brother run run the business. And that's what works in real life. Like that's how we figure shit out. We do. It's not like we sit. Yeah. There's not some, I guess there might be this misconception that the inventor sits behind the curtain intellectualizing for a number of years and then he creates something, but that's not how things get invented. Right. That's not how the the Wright brothers flew an airplane. They're just a couple of bicycle mechanics experimenting until they got the thing off the ground. Yeah. Um, and that's why I was like, my, with my wrestling, I don't want to, I mean, I, this is a wrestling podcast and I, I, I hate sounding arrogant, but, um, you know, I, cre- I created a lot of new wrestling. I, I you know, essentially came up with this, this, uh, what they started calling funk or funky, um, style. And yeah, you're, you're, you know, it's like probably for every one move that we actually had come out, 
that was like, oh, this, this is, this is different. This is, this works, you know, and we're using, people are using this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was 20 that didn't, it was like, mm-hmm. well, Hey, how about that? Right. Oh, how about that? How about that? How about that? Oh, that didn't work. Okay. <laughs> the next day I'm going to try something different. Yeah. And then the next day I'm going to try something different. And then, you know, again, if we talk about multiple, well, multiple nodes on the system working together, um, you know, I always go to that at university of Missouri, you know, our coach was smart enough to let us experiment. We had, We'll say eight, eight to 12 guys who were, who were all really sharp and we'd kind of bounce ideas off each other. Like, Hey, I tried this on you today, but you did that back to me. Why didn't it work? You know? Right. And then we would kind of talk back and forth. And then this person over there would say, well, what about that? You yeah. know? And so we have, you know, eight to 12 nodes on the network, essentially working on a problem together all simultaneously, as opposed to one central authority figure saying, do it this way, do right. it that way. Yeah. And so like that was one of the things that allowed us to move so quickly um, through through the moves was because we had all of these different smart people thinking about the same problem, experimenting on the same problem, and then coming back at the end and saying, well, that didn't work. That did. Ooh, this was when he did this. This was really great. And, you know, we really created a whole bunch of new technique in a really short period of time. That's so cool. Yeah, it's the the distributed intelligence. Clearly, it's smarter yeah. than one guy's intelligence. Always, by definition. Always. And it yeah. um, the it highlights the importance, I think, of courage and humility because you need to have the courage to do new things, almost knowing that ninety percent of them are going to fail, right? Or ninety five percent, maybe. Who knows? Ninety nine percent. And then the humility to like to learn. Right. You can't be like, no, this is how it's done to stick to some idea. You have to have the humility to take feedback from others if you're going to operate as as one group. Yeah. Hey, when Michael Saylor said, uh, and I, I'm, I'm just going to trust him that he's telling us <laughs> correct statistics. <laughs> but when he said 99% of publicly traded companies will be out of business after 30 years, that is like a mind blowing statistic. And yeah. so when you think about what you just said of like, no, being being willing to try something despite the fact that it's going to fail someday. I mean, and you know, he said, "Well, these are publicly traded companies. So they've already made it to this point, right? They've yeah, already made yeah. it past all these others they, to make it to this publicly traded status, which is in the business world <laughs> incredibly high status." Yeah. And then after thirty years of thirty years, ninety nine percent of them will still be out of business. It's like holy crap! Why would, why would I try any anything? Because every, everything is going to fail eventually. Yeah. And, or, yeah, and it's, and you, I think you're probably 99% likely to go out of business on the way up. So yeah. if you make it to public mm-hmm. trade, publicly traded company status, you've then got an average lifespan of maybe it's 30 years. So yeah, that's the world is incredibly Darwinian. <laughs> so you got to be humble yes, and you got to be courageous. Um, just coming back to this, I love this story. This we're on the, the law, win through your actions, never through argument. He told this story about Michelangelo in 1502 Florence, where there was basically a big damaged piece of raw marble in the church, Santa Maria del Fiore. Uh, some other artist had screwed it up. He like drilled a hole in the, the marble and, and messed it up. Mm-hmm. And Michelangelo convinced uh, the owner of it, which was Piero Sotterini, which was Florence's mayor, to let him try to salvage the piece. And Michelangelo decided to do a statue of young David with his sling in hand. And when he was putting the finishing touches on it, uh, he had Soderini come and look at it. And Soderini 
looked at the statue and made thought he was like a, an aficionado and said, oh, no, the nose is too big. It needs to be fixed. And so Michelangelo, instead of arguing, said he just walked. Michelangelo realized he was standing at the wrong angle to view the nose. So he walked him to a better vantage point and then walked, then told Soderini to stand there. Michelangelo walked to the nose of the statue. He had a little chisel and some marble dust in his hand. And he starts chiseling, acting like he's chiseling on the nose and releasing just enough marble dust. So it looks like he's actually doing something. And then without having done anything at all, actually just pretending to chisel and releasing mm -hmm. some dust, he then asks Soderini, how does it look now? And Soderini's like, oh yeah, it looks great. It looks much better, even though he hadn't changed it at all. So he just, instead of engaging in argument, he just took this intelligent action and Soderini was satisfied. The, you know, the integrity of the masterwork statute of David was preserved and everyone wins. So it, it makes a point that like you, you can, through action, you can accomplish, you can win an argument basically through action without offending anyone, mm -hmm. even the one you're arguing yeah. against. And, and this is, uh, so I think two things here. I think number one, that's also a good example of never outshine the master, right? Because mm -hmm, that's right. He could have said, nah, bro, you're, you're wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm effing Michelangelo. I'm right. Yeah. But he didn't, you know, he, he indulged the guy. And then number two, um, I, I think this, this whole point, you know, actually we kind of talked about it without talking about, but this is the, the mixed martial arts. This is the UFC. There was argument for how many years about what is the most effective. And now we put it into action and we have an answer, right? We yeah. could have kept arguing for eternity about which one's the best. And if we didn't take any action, just put, put human beings in a cage and say, well, what happens? Yeah. You know, let's go fight. Let's see what yeah. happens. If we didn't do that, we, we would never know the answer. And now we have a pretty damn good idea of what the most effective fighter in the world looks like. Yeah, it's so true. This, um, this quote from Balastar Gracian, he says, quote, the truth is generally seen, rarely heard. So it's like action is just so damn important. We almost have to default to it all the time. Yeah, I mean, so for me, that was one of the things I loved about wrestling also was that, um, and actually it's almost one of the things that kind of, um, it offends me about, sometimes jiu-jitsu people, they don't, they, they don't, um, in my opinion, compete enough. And they say, Oh, this is my style. That's, or that's this style. And, um, and in wrestling, there's so much competition. So, so frequently. And it's like, if there's a world championships every year, which well, there is except Corona years, um, the guys who go, they're the world champions. There's no doubt about it. There's no one else sitting on silence saying, that was saying I could have been a world champion, but I, I didn't want to go this year. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we get to see, whether it's at the world level or the NCAA level is what techniques work, you know, and again, so some people can say, I have this magical technique that works mm -hmm. against everybody. And it's like, no, it doesn't. Like if it did, you would be there. Right. <laughs> if, yeah. if it was, you would be the best and yeah. you're not. So your technique sucks. And so we, we get to see this very, very clearly in wrestling is like, there, there really, there is no argument. We could just look at the data. We can watch the right. matches. We can see what happens. We don't have to argue about, is this technique better? Is that technique? Well, let's just watch. Let's just yeah. see what happens. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, competition, whether it's in sports or in the economic sphere, it's a truth discovery process. Yeah. Right. It's like, let's put all the words down and see what actually works. Um, there's this other, I think it was at Facebook, maybe for a while they were using the, the phrase that code 
what is it? Code wins arguments. Oh, so instead remember. of arguing, they would just go and build the damn thing and then release it, like whatever the feature or function was uh-huh. in the software and see if it worked, right? See if people liked it yeah. and used it. Yeah, so it's I like code, it. you know, even code is action in a way. It's we're able to just go build something. Mm-hmm. This was a uh, Khrushchev who was a Russian, um, I forget what it was, he's a Russian ruler. Was and he, he was, was giving prime a minister at that time, or what was it? I don't yeah, know I, I, you're probably right. Prime minister. But okay. He was giving this so speech. I took two Russian history classes in college. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a decent understanding. <laughs> um, he was giving, I guess, a speech when he was like newly appointed uh, to his position. And someone yelled out, you were a colleague <laughs> of Stalin's. Why didn't you stop him then? And Khrushchev could not see where the heckler was in the audience. So he barked out. He said, you know, who said that? And no one in the audience said anything. No one raised their hand. No one moved a muscle. And then he very smoothly said, now you know why I didn't stop him. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah. So uh, that's so powerful, too, to be able to have that level of poise in a moment, you know, where someone's Mm kind of like called you out in a moment and then you've can give a very smooth or humorous response. It 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 makes you appear powerful and and deft, I guess, in dealing with with uncertainty. Um, and hats off to people that can always pull that off because that's not easy to do, right? Yeah, no, that's that's true. He he made he made that point loud and clear. That was that was tremendous. Yeah, uh, I do I did not recall that quote. Yeah. Well, next one we opened up was use absence to increase respect and honor. And yeah, this, this one, this one's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And it feels a little, the, the deception kind of creeps in here or it's like, if you're trying to make, well, he, he opens it up great. It says too much circulation makes the price go down. So the more you are seen and heard from the more common you appear. So yeah, so I have a hard time with this one because um, and I'm I'm not saying he I'm not saying he's wrong because generally he makes very good points, um, but there is um there is a little bit of you know you look at the, and again I don't know how you want to judge success but you look at some of the, the most popular people in the world today um, also some of the most wealthy um, they're almost constantly in the news cycles mm-hmm. and. So, you know, I, in the one instance is like, yeah, obviously absence does make the heart grow fonder a little bit. Um, and maybe it's like, you can't force yourself in those positions. And if you just have so happen to be there, that that's great. And maybe people don't want you to force yourself there, but it does seem as though, um, a lot of those people who are having a lot of success, um, are, are just kind of constantly in the news cycle or, you know, some of the people who are having the most success podcasting, it's like, they're doing it like every single day or, you know, three to five, three to four times a week, something like that. So, you know, I don't, I, I kind of struggle with this one a little bit because um, I don't know, you know, exactly, you know, even with myself, it's like, well, I have to decide where I want to go. Like, do I want to keep doing a vlog and staying in the public light or do I want to, you know, just do my wrestling thing, which I, I love it, you know, um, which direction do I want to go and which is best for me. So I guess this is one I'm kind of personally working through right now. Yeah. Yeah, this one is is a bit strange, I guess, especially in in the modern age, where to your point, there's such a competition for attention, for eyeballs, you know, that um, 
it seems like it might be a self-defeating strategy. I will say that, you know, for me, I unintentionally, I may have kind of backed into this at times when I actually prefer to read and write. That's kind of my thing. I don't want to, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to be on podcasts every day necessarily. Just it's, I'm more introverted, I guess you would say. And I have noticed that um, it can increase your demand a bit, right? People want you more, just like he's describing, you're just a little more scarcely available for say a podcast. Mm-hmm. So there tends to be a little more demand for it. Um, but I don't know that that's a good strategy necessarily. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's just something I kind of fell into. Yeah. I, and I, I, like I, said, I can't say for sure because I, uh, yeah, it's one of those where we, you know, again, we haven't, uh, I don't have the data metrics to back up, back up what I'm saying. And so I kind of like, I go between the two. It's like, you know, which, which one do I want to do? Am I even can really concerned or should, should I really just do what I enjoy? And if I, if it so happens to be in the public light, like, podcasting right i'm three days a week i'm live on flow radio and it's like well i really just enjoy talking about wrestling and they asked me to be on the show and i enjoy it so so why not yeah. right yeah um but yeah is it, is it like too much in the public light and i, I kind of go back and forth with that one yeah that's right that's I, I think that's how you do your best work too is if you're actually listening to what you value what you find meaningful and enjoyable yeah and do that that's gonna cause you to produce your best work um, there was this quote that absence diminishes minor passions and inflames great ones as wind douses a candle and fans a fire. And that actually reminded me of the opening lines of anti-fragile where he, he talks about, actually he describes obsessive love as it can be anti-fragile. The more you try and um, resist it, the more obsessed someone can become. Huh. And uh so there, there's this, yeah, I guess there's some anti-fragility built into this a bit. Um, but to the other point is like, you can't, this doesn't mean you can just kind of like go into hiding. People are going to demand your presence. You have to have established yourself to some extent. And then when you, they've become it's accustomed. It's kind of like Satoshi because, oh my gosh, how popular would it be if Satoshi be if he came back? Yeah. And I don't think, right. it would be, I don't think it would be a good thing for the whole system. I don't think it would be a good thing. No, it would not. But Listen, that man, if he did a podcast, and I don't, I don't even know if man or woman, I don't know, or group, I think it could potentially be a group. Yeah. Dude, what if Satoshi did a podcast <laughs> with I mean, Robert Breedlove? How many views would it get? Dude, uh, the most ever. I'd probably eclipse to Joe Rogan in one episode. It's like, <laughs> seriously, right? He's, uh, I think he identified as a he. Someone told me that. Did I can't, he? I can't confirm, but, um, yeah, my, my feeling is it's a group. I don't know. What is your feeling? Yeah, I would believe it was a group given the complexity and, and whatnot. Um, but I really have no good speculation on it. There was a good piece written recently about, um, I forget his name now. It was a developer that committed suicide and okay. someone made a case. They were like looking at his Twitter activity and his background and they sort of overlaid it with Satoshi and they made a case that it could have been him. Wow. Um, which is a really powerful article just because it was talking about suicide and all that. But mm-hmm. um, my, yeah, my feeling is that um, with the original wallet not being ever accessed that, you know, whoever has that is, is either dead or is a group of people and, and together they, you know, they burned it or they got rid of it. So, so none of them had access to that. And, you know, 
I feel like if it was an, a single, you know, we're talking about human emotion again, if it was a singular individual and that individual is still uh, alive and well, like not ever, ever, ever touching that too, that will be, I don't know, that would be like the most disciplined person that he, the, that earth has ever experienced. Yes. I mean, agreed <laughs> completely. That would yes. be a Christ, you know, almost a Christ level of, yes. of restraint, I guess, you know, it's just because um, you would he, be the would you I mean you would be one of the richest human beings on planet earth right now you'd have the, the you'd richest have, you'd have the greatest liquid net worth for sure by far yes. on earth you know you'd more way more than anyone uh, even at what are we at 40k right now so you'd have a 40 yeah. billion liquid net worth yeah no no billionaire has 40 billion liquid not even close yeah. mm -hmm. so um yeah, interesting to think about. Yeah, I guess you could say Satoshi is the greatest example of this in a way, right? <laughs> like he made himself very indispensable to this project and then he just completely disappeared. And now if he came out of the woodwork, a podcast with him would be would carry the greatest premium ever. It really would. Yeah. Um, hmm, okay. I love the image... This book is super cool too. So it's the way it's structured is he he'll describe the law and then he goes through like a transgression of the law, an observance of the law. He'll interpret it. Yes. Um, and then he'll give an image sometimes. Now, I might be missing a few here. And then the, at the very end, he'll talk about a reversal where the, the law can actually go into reverse. And the image he gave of this one was the sun. And just saying that it can only be appreciated in its absence. The more days of rain, the more the sun is craved, but too many hot days in a row and the sun is overwhelming. So the point is to learn to obscure yourself and make people demand your return. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And uh, we've had a lot of rain days in Rome, Wisconsin. So, <laughs> so I, feel, I feel that very, very, and you probably hate the sun because you'll live in Hawaii. Well, Kauai fortunately gets a good mix. Like we get dumped on. We it rains almost every day, so you get enough oh, mixture. Okay. But I lived in LA for a few years before this, and that was that can be too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. For real, it feels like to me that my conception of power when I was younger is it something you're kind of like, I guess, just swept up in. Like other people, when you're at a younger age, people just seem like which they do, they know how to play the game better, whatever the game is. Mm -hmm. And there's these certain little micro expressions and nuances to power that you're just, I guess you're still kind of learning. And this is how really children develop, right? We take cues from older children and then teenagers take cues from young adults, young adults yeah. take cues from older adults. How is your experience with, I guess, like action and boldness changed over time? Um. Hmm. Uh, so I would actually say this, this, uh, this category is that I excelled in because it was always just like, whatever I wanted to do, I just, I just went and tried to do it. And you know, my, mm -hmm. my wife says like, I don't know, there's a party where it's just like, just whatever you do is what you do. And you know, you know, especially when you're younger, you don't take recognition of what other people do. And she always says like, that's so rare, you know, for someone to just like go try and not be worried about anything. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So 
for me, that's a nice, I, I had a strong point in. And, you know, I feel like one, <laughs> this is a stupid story, but I think it kind of uh, really uh, embodies this a little bit. But I had a group of people over last year and there was um, one of the guys, um, I, hadn't, I didn't know that well. I mean, I met him like twice um, and we had interacted on social media and he was playing my disc golf course. And, um, and there was this tree I went to push down. And uh, I don't know if you ever pushed out a dead tree, Robert. It, it is it's so much fun. It bends, it bends, and then and it and it goes down. It's tremendous. <laughs> I, I would I would highly recommend it if I were you. <laughs> and so I went down there, and uh, you know I'm going to push this tree down, and I was like really struggling. And the guy did have he's what you know boldness. It came down, started pushing that tree with me, and we smashed it, and it was like yeah yeah that was so awesome, <laughs> and just like. A lot of people, especially someone who didn't know me that well, right? We had, we only met once or twice. Um, to have the boldness just come down and push down that damn truth. Me, it was like, and so I felt, I almost felt like an instant connection to this person. Like we understood each other a little yeah, bit better, yeah, yeah. And, and I appreciated his boldness and his willingness to just go push his fucking tree down. Um, <laughs> you know, they, and he didn't hesitate and think. Well, what if I get hurt? What if that truth yeah, falls yeah, on yeah. me? You know, I didn't have to talk him into it. I didn't explain anything. It was just like. Hey, Ben's trying to push that tree down. Uh, fuck it. I'll go push that tree down. Yeah. Let's do it. You know? That's so cool. And uh, yeah, so I, I think that kind of like embodies it, you know? And yeah, so, you know, like I felt an immediate connection and it was something that I, I think very few other people would most, not, I would say 95% of people would just stand there and look at you. Like, yeah. What's that, what's that guy down there doing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So <laughs> do you think, I mean, you said this has always, I guess, come natural to you. Do you think it is then? Uh, genetic or like what what is it in you that has just um i guess you'd say you've defaulted to action right like whatever you yeah. whatever you're gonna do you sort of just go after it regardless of the risk to some extent yeah yeah absolutely um i don't know my wife would say it's because i'm partly autistic um and i would say you know like uh, i tell you about my background kind of like really blue collar parents just you know hard workers, no, like, you know, we're talking about this book, no political skills, none of this savvy of, you know, working the system to work their way up or, or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was just, you know, go to work hard, save some money. I, you know, I don't know what kind of background you grew up in, but that was, mm -hmm. you know, that, that I feel like that's a lot of America, um, yeah. the generation, the generation above, above me, right. Um, or above us. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it was like, um, I didn't really see them do a lot of talking or negotiating or bargaining. It was just like, it, they just took action. And, you know, like uh, I'll say one thing about my mom. Um, my mom, one time she ran uh, a thousand days in a row. Wow. You know, it's like, well, that's action. It's like, they ain't talking about getting in shape. They ain't doing it. It's like, she went and did it. Wow. <laughs> like this, she, she did it a thousand days in a row. And so it's like, that was what I saw. And so, um yeah when you know i i I, go, I would go back to like really really early days um you know when i was younger i played all sports and then um when i was in fifth grade it was like well i want to get better at wrestling and it was just it, it was something i came to on my own my parents didn't make me do it and it's like well i want to quit baseball because i want to wrestle more because i want to be better at wrestling yeah and now that i coach wrestling and i'm, I'm dealing with five through 18 year old because for a for an 11 year old to want to just just make that decision there's not, a, there's not a lot of 11 year olds that are making that decision on their own. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and then the following year when I was 12, I was overweight. Um, and I just made a decision and I, and I didn't, it, 
it was like, Hey, I'm going to lose weight. I lost 30 pounds, not water weight. Like I was fat. And then I became skinny and it was just like, Hey mom, um, I don't want you to buy ice cream anymore. I don't want you to buy it. There was like, I mean, I, I would stopped eating like everything except healthy stuff. I didn't eat. And now I'm medium healthy. I, you know, medium healthy, not, yeah. not super healthy. Um, was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to stop drinking soda. I'm going to stop eating ice cream. I'm going to stop eating cookies, no yeah. donut, no nothing, you know? And so I lost 30 pounds. And so it's like, yeah, action. That was, that was all I knew. It was no talking. It was no negotiating. It was no politicking. It was just like, and then, you know, honestly, and, and when it makes sense why I ended up where I ended up in, in wrestling, because wrestling is a, a sport of action. You're going to get nowhere by talking. It's completely egalitarian. Two people go to the center of the mat, they shake hands, and you're going to figure out who wins. And the, the, yeah. the 48 laws of power don't actually really apply <laughs> within the sport of wrestling, within the circle, because it's just you're going to shake hands, and either you're going to be better than the person or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Just pure physical power at that point. And yeah. Technique. And, That's so fun. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so, well, you know, obviously in strategy, right? But it's all, it's all within you. Is it, it's your, is it your intellect? Can you use that? Can you use your strength? Can you use your, cardio like what can you use to defeat the other person um but to my point ta talking isn't talking is not gonna you can't negotiate like hey man how about you like you just give me some back points and then like yeah. <laughs> you know uh, i'll let you talk to my girlfriend <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that so funny yeah so we i mean the, this is where we pick up our programs almost is that we we emulate the actions of those around us you know largely from our yeah. parents so that's that's interesting you you identified that coming from your mom and then i too i was overweight too when i was 12. i was like okay. i was always a tall kid but i was probably 5 10 and 200 pounds when i was 12. when you were 12. Like, so yeah so very Whoa. tall but husky you know and i yeah. similar by the time i was 14 I was like six foot tall, but 170 pounds. Like I dropped 30 pounds and grown a little mm. bit. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess the, <laughs> this is funny. It's nice to meet a fellow fat kid because not, <laughs> not many people know what it was like. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's serious. Look, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, in, in his boldness category though, um, and honestly, he, he's, he's on our shit list right now. But, you know, I think another guy that kind of embodies this is Elon Musk. It's yeah. like, you know, he sold his first company and he didn't really have to do anything. He could have cashed out and went and sat on the beach, bought a house and, you know, that's it. That could have yeah. been it. Right. And then at the same time, he literally risks it all. I mean, he put his all of his own money into yeah. his new companies. And it's like that was bold. That was extremely bold and we you know we like that about you we and and it's like even if you don't really know elon musk all that well and then you know, we're kind of mad at him because he fucking tweets too much sometimes <laughs> man he's got big balls and and if and, and man i love it like i just i really and i don't want to say I envy that characteristic because I, I would say i try to emulate it more than anything like if i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna put it all in yeah dude i what made me really like Elon is I read that I think he has a quote. He made a he took a, took down one hundred eighty million dollars from PayPal when he's when yes. they sold PayPal. His take was one hundred eighty million. He goes, I put one hundred million in SpaceX, seventy million in Tesla, ten million in Solar City, and borrowed yeah. money for rent. <laughs> it's like seriously, that's bold. That's what American, uh, not American. 
It's what free market entrepreneurship is all about. I commonly say yes. American, but it's like, I'm just, I'm not referring to the country necessarily. I'm referring to the principles on what we're Yeah, the mentality. But, yeah. I got you. But man, that's a great point. Um, and yeah, he's just on the, the shit list lately because he's trying to bring ego into Bitcoin and Bitcoin has no ego. You know, it, it, yeah. it dispenses with it very quickly. So, well, I thought it was just um, for uh, someone who is about as high up on the intelligence curve as it gets, I thought it was rather ridiculous that he didn't just go do his research and realize like a lot of the points that he was bringing up, like, they have, we, they've already been hashed out like yeah. 7 billion times. Like we already know the answers to those. Like you're bringing like block size. You're going to bring up blo yeah. block size. Is that yeah. what we're really, we're talking about block size. Come on, man. They're like Again. that's been hashed out already. <laughs> Again, <laughs> for real. Um, I, so what do you think though? Cause it seems to me like he just really likes to be a tr like internet troll, like and funny, I guess. But so it, for, it boils down to me. It's like I just don't trust what he tweets at this point. It's like, yeah, whatever he's saying, maybe he's playing this 48 laws of power game to a level I can't comprehend. But I've just learned to like not even believe yes. the tweets that are coming out. But his 55 million followers seem to. Yeah. Well, that's so we go back to. <laughs> human behaviors and I, I don't know if you've ever done this robert one, one of the things um that i i enjoy doing i haven't done it in a while so maybe i should start i think it's because you know people have been like over politics since trump got out of office there's like ah oh, whatever let's just, we're chill on it for a minute but especially when trump was in office and people were extra viral virulent um i would treat tweet out something that was specifically ambiguous so you could take it really any way you wanted you know mm. and <laughs> And it would be so funny because you would get responses. They would be like, F you, you're such a Republican. F you, you're such a Democrat. You suck. You're so liberal. You're such a jackass conservative. And it's like to literally people, no one said, well, what did you really mean by that? Or what were you getting at here? Right. Or what were you trying to say? They just assumed that they knew exactly what you were doing. And so yeah. it's like. Yeah, I mean, like in those instances, there were a lot of people who thought they knew exactly what I was trying to say or exactly what I was trying to point out when I was just trying to do stuff to piss people off so I could be purposely <laughs> ambiguous. I mean, literally, that's what I was trying to do. So it's like, yeah, I don't know what Elon's plan is right now. I don't know what he's trying to do. Maybe he's trying to make, maybe, I mean, there, listen, there's a possibility, a very real possibility that he was trying to make the price go down so Tesla could buy more. That That's, that's not without their own possibilities. It definitely is. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I think your point is well taken and, and, but not understood by many people that often when we speak, we're not communicating ourselves perfectly well. And the person that's receiving, they're receiving it through their own filter, right? How are you delivering it? Well, you know, women are great at this. What are your nonverbal? <laughs> you know, like it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And there's, there's such a lot of energy has to be spent just trying to get people aligned on like, what is me if you're trying to have effective communication, but then if mm -hmm. you just go on, so something about social media, I guess, because it's such a tight container, you put them, put something out there ambiguous and people just interpret it only through their filter, you know? So they're their coming at filter. you from both sides. Yeah. Um, on social media, you can't see, you can't see emotion with it. You can't see body language. Yeah. I mean, Twitter, obviously specifically because it's almost all text is um 
very, very difficult to read how people are saying things sometimes. That's why, you know, you said, um, you know, you're not even trying to gauge what he's getting at anymore. You're not trying to think what he, it's like, who knows? He, he could be thinking one of 15 things. And it's right. hard to say. Yeah. Do What do you, I mean, do you think that, because I'm very dissonant about stuff. like Twitter, I think is an amazing tool for me in lots of ways. I mean, like, yes, you know, lots of ideas I get from it, but there's also that weird side to it where the communication gets blurred. Do you think it's a net benefit or a net detriment? Seems oh, like I, love, a, I love Twitter. Yeah. yeah. But for like, I, I think you need to know how to filter, you know, like um, not reading a whole lot of the comments and then, you know, searching the things you want to search. And then also, um, you know, kind of like that, actually like that friend concept we were talking about earlier when, you know, you, someone's been your friend for six months and they stab you in the back. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, that was, I didn't see that one coming, but yeah. Been for, now if someone's been your friend for 20 years and they've been a solid person and they're stabbing the back and then they said, you're like, Whoa, you know? So it's like, will you follow people? And then, you know, you, you think, Oh, this guy's got some good ideas and they're pretty sharp. And then, um, then you start to see them, you know, tweeting about something and it makes you realize, wait, they have no idea what they're, you know, especially in areas where I have expertise, like uh, fighting mm. or wrestling or that type of stuff. And you know, they're full of crap. And then also you could really, you know, if, if you question whether, ah, is this true? You can click through and you can kind of read through the comments and you get, you know, hive mind type stuff and you get mm -hmm. a general consensus and you can follow links. So I actually think if you learn how to filter Twitter, right, it's the greatest source of information on planet earth. I think you said it well there. It's, it's access to the hive mind. That's the yeah. big benefit because you can then, check your own ideas or check the ideas you found and and you just get to truth a lot faster i think yes. but the filtration is key filtration is key because <laughs> you can put yourself in a weird echo chamber that will confirm anything or disconfirm anything um and yeah not getting emotional i guess it was another strange thing on bitcoin twitter i've observed is People get really nasty towards each other on tweets, mm, you know. It's that's like true. a few after what, but then you see them at a conference together, and they're like, "Everyone's so docile," <laughs> yes. you know. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? So funny. <laughs> yeah, that that is. There's the one, uh, the very. Uh, I think it's probably the most correct meme ever, where the um, the two dogs are, are really aggressively barking at each other. And the gate, the gate moves back, you know, and so there's no more gate, and then they just act, they act normal. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's so it's so good. Yes, but that that is so true. Bitcoin, Twitter, crypto, Twitter can get very nasty. It can get very tribal, which I guess that's probably like. I mean, I follow crypto Twitter more than other sections of Twitter, yeah. so I guess that's probably pretty normal. People are very tribal, um, but yeah, it can get that way. And then there's obviously. There's a whole bunch of dog shit in crypto Twitter. If you're trying to sell dog crap projects oh, and there's so many people who are naive and don't understand and they get caught up in the thing and then they, and then they buy safe moon, like a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, re it's really, if you go out of beyond Bitcoin Twitter into crypto Twitter, I'm sure it's extremely bad. Um, yes. So another thing the the book does that I really like is in the margins, he has those fables and stories, mm, yeah. you know, that sort of reinforce the, the laws that he's describing. Um, one of these, again, we're on the, the law that's uh, interaction with boldness, just this little short fable. He said, quote, uh, a boy playing in the fields got stung by a nettle. 
He ran home to his mother, telling her that he had touched the nasty weed and it had stung him. It was just your touching it, my boy, said the mother, that caused it to sting you. The next time you meddle with a nettle, grasp it tightly and it will do you no hurt. So the point being, do boldly what you do at all. So Is that true with the nettle plant? I feel like it would still stab you. Yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> don't even know what a nettle plant is. <laughs> Maybe it's I crazy. Mean, I, I like what she's saying here, but uh, I don't know with the nettle plant. I'm not sure on that one. It'll just stab you worse. Definitely possible. Yeah, if you just like, I guess the point being is not to take half-hearted action, yes. right? It's like, if you're going to do something, like commit and do it, do it all the way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it, is it even useful to educate someone with that? Cause it seems like that sort of comes naturally to you. I guess it could be learned if you see other people doing it, but this is harder, I think, to get these things through cognition, like reading about it. You almost need to see it in action to really adopt yeah. the behavior. Yeah, I, I would say definitely that. And then you, you know, the, the other, if we go back to kind of high, high school kids behavior, because I think it's a, a good teaching point because we all, we all, well, not all of us, most of us went through that period of our lives, right? Obviously there's some homeschooled kids or small private schools or whatever, but most of us went through some type of large high school setting. Um, and, you, you know, it was something that I can see now with my classes is like the kids who they get recognition and uh, for their boldness. And maybe they're not getting recognition anywhere else in life or, you know, maybe there's a lot of the negatives going in life, but then when they do something crazy, even if it's bad, right, they get a lot of recognition and they, and they love that. And then they do it more and more and more. So, you know, I think that's definitely like positive feedback loop for them, even though maybe long-term once they get out of high school, if they keep the behavior up, it's not going to be so good. That, yeah. that, and, but people love boldness. There's just no doubt about that. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. There's a danger to that too, though, where if you're, yes successful with one strategy multiple times, especially that you'll come to think that that is just the thing you should always use. But then again, if you just use one strategy repeatedly, you become vulnerable to someone like a counter strategy, essentially. So yeah, so, such an interesting aspect. Um, yeah. And then the other that like in seduction, I think this is clear too. It's like, if you're going to be, I just think back to when in my single days, or if you're like trying you to, hit on, I've got a girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when you're trying to hit on a girl, it's like, if you come in timid or you're like, kind of no wishy washy, there's no chance they sniff Zero. it immediately and you're toast. Um, so again, it's like all that love and war thing. You just have, if you're going to take action, it's got to be decisive. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say this, yeah, it is something that came more naturally to me. You know, I, I told you on a handful of the other ones, how I, you know, I definitely recognize a point of failure in that one, or I experienced like the negative side of it uh, before I kind of figured it out. But on this one, this was something that like kind of, kind of came naturally to me early on. And, you know, I, I still use it to my advantage when I need to. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, it's a great pattern of behavior. I'm sure it's also a very uh, common among leaders, I think. So I'm sure it's contributed to your your leadership qualities and, and why yeah. people look up to you. Absolutely. Um, um, I got, like, I, got like, I don't know, 15-ish more minutes. Um, 
One of the other ones, I and I don't know if you can, we can just discuss. Can I can I step to anyone I want to? Let's go anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. The one that's it's funny, but this is another one where um, you see people make mistakes, but never appear too perfect. Um, mm. And that's it. You're going back to high school. Everyone hates the goody two shoes. Yeah. Everyone hates the teacher's so, pet, yeah. and um, and it's important to and so I think this is important in social media. Um, but show your show your flaws and failures too, because yeah. everyone has them. And so I, you know, I think the part that people get to hate is like, we know it's there, we we know, but when you're hiding it too much, and they, you know, the guy I'll actually uh, point out, and he couldn't get over this, but like John Jones wanted to be liked so hard, and he wanted to hide his flaws, but obviously he couldn't, right, because he got popped on a drug test or he got arrested for multiple times and it was like just be who you are because you're trying to act like this this kind of perfect human when you do these interviews that you're just a sweet nice kid and it's like no like you're you're young and you're rich and you're kind of wild and listen that's okay we're cool with that just be yeah. you yeah. and like and then so there's the one per the one time where people really gravitated for me and it was really funny to me because it was like should have never worked but it was like when daniel cormier because daniel cormier was then playing the good guy and john played the bad guy and that was, I think, the biggest pop that John got or when people liked him the most was when he actually finally kind of played the bad guy a little bit. And so never appear too perfect. I, I think that's um, a good one. And again, you know, we go back to like what's right or what's moral, um, that it doesn't seem like the right course of action. But when you're when you're looking at it through the lens of the 40 laws of power, uh, I think that's important to uh, be willing to show your flaws, show your failures and, and be OK with that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. Um, and it, it's back to that difficulty of seeing ourselves through the eyes of others. Because um, I think you can too, you can do that inadvertently, not to say that you're like, perfect inadvertently, but if you're really good at one thing, or whatever it is, you really, or if you're a really great wrestler, and you're just on time every day, you execute all the moves well, you're super conditioned, like, people can get annoyed by that, right? They think, absolutely. That, yeah. I actually have this kid, and I, I, man, I hope none of my kids. Yeah, I don't think they're into crypto. They're honestly, if this was impulsive, I'd be worried because a lot of them watch impulsive. I don't think they're into crypto podcasts at, at in middle school level. But I have one kid. He's like kind of perfect. Like he he does everything right, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a little bit you can sense it, and it's not there yet. He's he's, he's younger, so I think as as he ages, if if the same trajectory keeps going. Yeah. A lot of kids around him will start to get jealous and they'll, they'll try to kind of pull him back down, you know, or, or undercut him a little bit. And so like, I think it's really important and you know, I'll just, and I'll go with me because I don't, I don't I'm trying, I'm trying to say I'm perfect either, but um, he's going to need to show his flaws to his peers and that yeah. will make him feel like one of them and that'll yeah. make them embrace him. And so like in college, I know one of the, I, I wasn't, I want, I don't want to say I was like not popular in high school, but I was like, I wasn't like the, the nerdy kid or anything, but I, I definitely wasn't popular in any sense of the imagination. It was just because I wasn't living on the same path that a lot of my peers were. I, I knew I wanted to be a great wrestler at that point already. Most of my life's energy was focused on that. And so, yeah. you know, one of the things I went to college to wrestle and it was a great team and, um, but I never, I never drank, never did drugs still have to this day, still have not. That's um, awesome. Wow. One time I accidentally ate a pot brownie because because <laughs> someone didn't tell me what it was. 
I bet that was a wild I, ride. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. I thought the CIA had me under mind control. I was, oh, I was, cause I, and I was, yeah. It, cause it took me hours. Cause I went somewhere. Um, someone I trusted it, it was, who was, who was living there. It was someone else's stuff. And I said, what is this? And they said, it's a protein bar. So I said, okay. So I ate a big chunk of it. And then I was feeling really messed up. That's and you know, it's like CIA's got me under mind control. I didn't want to tell my wife because then she was gonna think I was crazy. It was terrible. <laughs> Anyways, back to the point. I never did drugs or drink. And so, you know, I always I, and I was thinking one of the things I got along with my college team, like bet my best friends ever, you know, like um so close to all them. And I think one of the things that was really important for me was I never made them like feel bad about not living as clean of a life as me or not wanting mm. to not drink. Cause they thought it was like, cool. You guys drink cool. Whatever. I'll go party with you guys. I'm not going to drink. That's what I'm choosing for my life, but I'm not going to make you feel guilty about it whatsoever, you know? Yeah. And so like, we didn't have that friction there. Whereas I think if I would have acted like the goody two shoes, like, well, I don't drink cause I want to be a good wrestler. Which that, that was what it was. I didn't drink. So I want to be a good wrestler. Right. Yeah. And well, you're drinking. So you must not want to be as good as me. I think if I would have made them feel those vibes, there would have obviously been a lot of pushback. Right. And because I never made anyone feel like that, it was like, well, hey, listen, that, that's what you want to do. You do that. And, you know, when you're in the room, let's work hard together and whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, so I think that was one of the things that allowed me to bond to them the closest. Whereas if I would have been that perfect goody two shoes, I would have kind of been look, looking down on other people for their right life choices we we would have had a lot of issues and like i said i mean i'm actually doing a reunion with my college team this summer i already have, I have 30 dudes committed to come to wisconsin with their families it's going to be like the most fun thing ever wow so do you, is that's what it's about then right it's because if you're if you appear too perfect or too ideal it's you're almost like you're judgmental right or people feel judged yes that's what it is right um, well, you know, actually, I think it, I think it's uh, chapter two of Jordan Peterson's book. Um, you remember yeah. that chapter? It's called uh, well, blanking. What made me think of it was Jordan Peterson. He says every ideal is a judge. So he well, the what he says in chapter what what the whole chapter two is about. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the chapter right now. Mm -hmm. I should look it up. Is that um, people? people are more likely to give their pets medicine than they are to take their own medicine. Mm. And the idea is that people almost think so negatively about themselves that they're not worthy of, they're not worthy of, you know, the, the same care that they would give their animals even. Mm. And, you know, they feel those things about themselves. And so not every kid who drinks it, not every time. Right. But there's probably a little bit of that, Right. It's a discipline thing that they're saying, um, I'm choosing to do this because I think it's going to be fun or I'm going to enjoy myself. And, and I know, I know if I, if someone asked me, and I know deep in my heart, that's probably not the best decision for my wrestling career or whatever. But I'm, so if you make them feel even more guilty about that, they're mm -hmm. they're going to really push back and there's going to, you know, probably be some retribution directed towards you for that. And if you just make it feel like, hey, you know, like I said, you're just a human, you're fine. Your decisions are your decisions. You do what you want to do and you don't make them feel guilty or you don't make them feel like they have a lack of discipline. Um, then there's going to be no pushback, right? There's going to be no retribution right. from them. Yeah. So you got to, I mean, you're humanizing yourself effectively. If you're too perfect or too ideal or too goody two shoes, yeah. you're not, you don't seem human. Yeah. I think this is really important with, yeah, so I, something I do with my kids too. And this is maybe not the, 
not team, seem too perfect, but it's kind of on the same wavelength of um, that, that guilt thing, like kind of chapter two, Jordan Peterson um, is like, you know, I, I actually got this advice from a different coach, but it's like, don't ever make them feel bad for not being in the room. Because generally with most of the kids I coach, I have a really good relationship. And he said, and this is the guy telling me this also, I feel the same way. I have a really good relationship with most of them. So, you know, Hey, listen, if you're here, if you're here half the time, great. Love it. I'll coach you when you're here. If you're here 80% time, great. I love it. I'll coach you when you're here. If you're here hundred percent time, great. I love it. I'll coach you when you're here. But the second that I start making you feel guilty for not showing up, um, then you're going to avoid me because we have a good relationship. So you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to feel guilty because you're not coming there. Mm. And so what kids will start doing if you make them feel guilty is they'll just start avoiding you because they, they don't want to mm. let you down. They don't right. want to let you down. They, they like you. You have a good, we have a good relationship Yeah. and they don't want to let me down. So I don't, I don't want to make them feel like they're letting me down. Right. You know, now I may, I may twist the tactic a little bit and you know, something it's like a, a different tactic. So we're getting the same result. The kids like I'm, I might ask them, you know, what their goal is in wrestling. And then if they tell me I want to be a state champion or I want to get a college scholarship, then when I'm not seeing them very much and they're right, they're going to do whatever they do in summer, as opposed to training. Then when I see them, I might say, Hey, remember, you know, you told me you wanted to earn a college scholarship. Well, listen, I've only seen you twice in the last month. So how are we going to do that? Yeah. And so then it's not me making them feel guilty. It's like, well, you told me this. Yeah, and I w- I want to help you get there. My my job as a coach is to help you get to that goal, and so you know how are we how are we going to change this or how are we gonna make that happen? So that way it's not like making them feel guilty. It's it's making them accountable to what they said in their own goals. Yeah, that's all. That's um. There's another point somewhere in the book where a governor was saying that the trick is to make the governed think it was their idea to carry out your ideas, yeah. but make make that make them think it was their idea, uh, which is, yeah, it's just more motivating that way. So I, maybe on the subject of goals and aims, like what, what is your big goal? What is your big aim now at this phase in your life? Like clearly you've accomplished a tremendous amount in first short little run here. Where, where are you headed now? What's the impact you want to make? Yeah, it's tougher when you get older because when you when you're younger, you can be so singular and focused. It's just you know, first long part of my life is like I want to be a a great wrestler, and that that, that was that was it. I didn't really think about much else. Mm-hmm. That was all I really wanted to do. And you know, now when you get older, it's like you know, well, I have my kids. I have to think about them and my relationship with them. I have my wife. I have to think about my relationship with her. Um, you know, I have to think about my my own personal finances. Um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, now I have five academies and so now I have to think about making sure all of those are successful and making sure I'm giving all of them the right amount of energy and time and, and that type of thing. Um, and obviously because of my success now, I have also have lots of options. So I got to, you know, weigh my options, get better at saying no. Um, I, I, you know, I would say my biggest goal and I, I'm not gonna say this is going to ever going to change. And I think we're close to already there, but I want to be the biggest wrestling academy system in the country. I think we're, mm-hmm. I think honestly we'll be there in, in like a year. Right? We're pretty damn close if we're not there already. Um, and then, so then number two on top of that would be, um, you know, a good coach can change a kid's life, not, not change a kid's mm-hmm. wrestling, but li- very literally change the trajectory yep. of their life. And so one of the things, you know, people say, well, how big do you want to get? And it's like, well, I, I'm not really sure. I don't really have an end goal. 
But if I can keep putting good co- coaches in front of kids, I'm, I'm going to be able to change a bunch of lives through them. And so if I can do that, if I can keep doing that, as many times as I can keep doing that, I'm going to do it. Right. And so now, now I've been able to do it five times with, with five academies with, and we have five really good coaches, you know, that's just head coaches. Obviously we have good assistant coaches also changing lives. So if I can keep changing lives through, through wrestling, I'm going to do it as, as many times as possible. That's beautiful, man. I think that's a great place to call it. Um, yeah, we, we all want to change lives, right? I mean, it, it, yes, real deep level. And I'm really happy to see you doing that in the world. I'm sure you've got a ton of happy people coming up through those academies. Uh, and I'm yeah. excited to see where you go. So, yeah. So if I, if I can wrap it on uh, a kind of, kind of to, to tie the book and everything else, together. please. And that's with the wrestling thing is like, you know, one of the things that, you know, I talked about a little bit of my upbringing, just kind of who I was a little bit. But one of the things that wrestling allowed me to do um, was if I if I put the right amount of effort and thought into something that I could achieve as much as I want to achieve. Right. And I got damn near all the way to the top. Um, and that really made me feel capable in other areas of my life. So wrestling was the first area I felt capable, which then allowed me to say, well, if I can do it in wrestling, why can't I do it? in getting girls? Why can't I do mm. it in school? Why can't I do it in business? Why can't I do it in mixed martial arts? And just using the same, I'm going to put a lot of work into it. I'm going to think about it. I, you know, I'm going to do all these things I did mm. to do wrestling. So it's like, you know, I, the, this is really, it's kind of sad, but um, there's so many kids in, in the world who don't have someone telling them that they can do it and you, you are capable and you can do it. And there's a lot, even parents that parents and peers that, that kind of shit on kids and say, no, nah, you suck. You're terrible. You'll never be anything. And so if we can just do that through wrestling and no, you can do this, you're capable and then have kids achieve and whatever it is, right. It could be, it might be a conference title. It might be a state title, might be a college scholarship. But again, if, if they can learn that they're capable, like I learned, um, why can't they go apply that to every area of life? And there's not enough people telling kids today that you are capable you can do it go do it beautiful yeah yeah just building confidence competence and giving them the power right giving them that inner power Mm -hmm. absolutely so good man ben thank you so much for coming on this has been awesome um great to meet you great to connect with you love to hear the story and uh talk to you again soon You got it. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. All right, man. Peace.